Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It was everything that you could ask for from a Friday night. A rollicking good game. It's lit the conversation which will rage throughout the day. And there's a couple of vacancies in the umpiring fraternity. Maybe we could hold a talent audition or something out the front of... SEN, or maybe there'll be a public stoning at Federation Square. I'm not sure which way it will go, but it does sort of beg the question. Imagine if Collingwood had got overrun. I'm not sure there would have been a town left for us to wake up in today. Jared Waitley with you for crunch time. The Berwick Motor Group visits Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group, and Ozito powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. David King, Hello. I'll tell you what, Jared, it'll be popular. I know that. I know. You get a crowd down there, bring your own tomatoes. Just before the Matildas <laughs> go, maybe maximise it. They've had a poor year, Jared. They really have. And it's been highlighted last night. It's shocking. To not recall the first bounce of the third term is, is, is disgraceful. You've got a one-point game, so much at stake, and you basically gift Jordan Degoe an express centre-bounce clearance. That, that's, that's not right. Um, forget the out of bounds stuff. I mean, oh, we won't. I, no, no. But I mean that. But that moment swings a game. Swings a game. I mean, the game was the game was decided when Jeremy was kicking from outside the boundary. But that that shifted momentum. We talk about momentum every week, every Monday morning. I sit with you and we talk about when teams go on a run, how hard they are to stop. You can't put a man behind the ball anymore at the centre bounces. There's so much you can't do. And then we allow that to roll. I think it's a really big talking point. I know it's a little bit sort of dusted over last night, but that's a big that's a big action in the context of the whole season. It's a big action. They they had to Geelong had to find a way to to, to get Collingwood to play tight in that last sixty minutes, and they gave up that right through no no uh, fault of their own in the first twenty seconds. Luke Hodge, as entertainment goes, it was off the charts last night. It was, and I think that's the disappointing part with a few questionable umpiring decisions. That's what we're talking about rather than the ebbs and flows of, a, of two very combative football teams. Um, I, I, I thought that we saw more cracks for Collingwood early in the game with how Geelong were moving the ball. They took a leaf out of Hawthorne's book the week before by making him defend. They were they were happy to drop off. Um, Geelong were moving the ball at, at ease, but then so it must have been a pretty inspiring speech at quarter time uh, from Wacray because they, they tighten up and they play the football that, that we expect Collingwood to play. But tell you what, someone who caught my eye, Josh Dacos, sitting out in that wing, I'm not sure how Geelong allowed him to have so much space. He, he, he wanted to play the closest to the boundary uh, and he was allowed to do that. And he had, what do you have, 36, 37, and, and he's just too good of a player to, to be given that much time. Did Collingwood set a few things right, King? Oh, they, they just had to win. I don't even know if it was about setting it right last night. They they spoke about in the pre-match getting their, their pressure back and their hunger back to outnumber. But if you want to talk about the game specifically, I thought Collingwood won in spite of their midfield last night. They were humbled in the middle of the ground. And they've got some problems in there that they need to open their eyes to and address. And some of them are their top liners. 
that are just going through the motions at clearance. Pendlebury's lost a yard, and, and you can you can fight as much as you like that it's not a real issue. But every time you see him at a centre bounds clearance, it is one metre, two metres, three metres to his opponent in a heartbeat. And it was evident last night, and people talk about Patrick Dangerfield, oh, he's this powerful guy. But he, Patrick hasn't been that player for a little while, and it just looked, it looked twofold last night. It was Pendlebury's issue matching Dangerfield just getting going? So it was, it was, it was evident for all to see. Uh, so their clearance game's a problem. If they play Melbourne and play that exact performance against Melbourne in the final, they get beat by eight goals because Melbourne are a different beast in the middle of the ground. Um, Dangerfield didn't have a lot of support in there last night, I didn't feel, at, at absolute clearance. Um, but their back line, yeah, you know, I look at Markov, he's become a really important player for them. Crisp down back, Noble. Quainer is is, is, a, is almost an elite player in our competition right now. No one really talks much about him. They lost more, and Murphy stood up terrifically. And I think it highlighted the off-season. It's a full-club thing winning a premiership. Frampton, Hill, McStay and Markov, they're all going to be major components of what they do, all four acquisitions last year. I think um, we, we found out the mindset between the, the Collingwood coaching staff as soon as uh, Moore went down. I was thinking Howe has to go straight back. That's the first move I thought that the fly would have made just to send the, the normal defender, your next leader, down back. But he's trying to figure out that forward line. Uh, Johnson goes out. He wants to see if Howe can be down there to have that X factor, a bit of input going into the finals. And as you said, Frampton stood up, took the role, uh, and the leadership shown by a lot of the other guys in and around there. Murphy was excellent directing and, and telling blokes what to do. Every time they lose someone, Collingwood, they seem to step up. Someone will stand up and, and put their hand up and say, I'll lead or I'll, I'll fill the gap that, that's just been lost. We'll go deep on the game and all the different individual performances in it. It's a busy morning on the news front, though. Sam Edmund, hello. Jared, just great entertainment last night. I loved it from even before the start when Craig McRae said on Fox that they were going to bring the heat, and I hope Chris is listening. I love that. <laughs> then all the injuries, then the boundary line that would appear to be loosely applied now. The behinds that were signaled were goals. We'll get to that. And then Chris Scott's oh, tense post-match press conference. Loved it all. Loved it. All right, so let's do the boundary side of things first, shall we? Well, the AFL have just come to the party, Jared, right. with their so adjudication. Let's hear from the coaches, and then you can give us the formal explanation. Yeah, I did, I did see that on the big screen, yeah. No, I didn't think I need to make comment. The crowd were going all right, weren't they? What, what can we do about it, really? I actually, I, I actually might be worth asking the AFL. They, they can all see it on the screen. Do they have the ability? I don't know. The rule, do they have the ability to look at the replay and say, oh, no, that's definitely out of bounds? I'm not sure if they do, do they? Only for goals. Um, it is what it is. Yeah, we make mistakes. I made plenty in the last few weeks, and we, we grow. Um, can't do much better. I actually didn't see it, um, hand on heart, um, but people that know the game well say that it wasn't outside the boundary. What did you think? Did you I mean, watch the replay? In the last quarter when Brad Close handballed him and he was clearly outside the boundary. Was the ball outside the boundary? Yeah. Yeah, OK. Well, you, you must have a different view to some of the other people that know the game well that said it wasn't. I haven't looked at it, but... What's the actual verdict, Sam? <laughs> These were absolutely self-evident, so I'm looking forward to how okay. the Pollard Bureau has gone with it. I think you'll be entertained here, to be honest, Jared, Kingy and Hodgie. So the AFL have confirmed the fourth quarter Cameron goal. This was the close handball out of play, confirming an error by the umpire. Out of bounds should have been called. So um, clearly came beyond the boundary line, didn't it? The handball from close to Jeremy Cameron, who finished spectacularly, but that should not have been allowed. So the AFL put the hand up and say that was umpire error. However... Third quarter, Jeremy Cameron Mark, and you know the one where Braden Maynard loses his mind. 
The AFL are saying while the broadcast angle looks out of bounds, an additional angle points to Cameron taking the ball on the line and hence controlling the ball on the line. The umpire's in the best position to make the call and they've provided a split-screen broadcast angle and an alternate angle as evidence that the ball is, in fact, in Jared. Now, I this pushed, is a Pruder film. This is not good uh, good radio, but I, I'm just pushing play on this for the first time now. And... <laughs> oh, please. That's, that's it. I'll, I'll post it on Twitter as soon as I can. But yeah. um, that's where the AFL sit on both of those. I'm just flicking through this statement now as we, as we speak. So, so we had our commentary box sits above that line, and we all have a perfect angle of it separate to television um, yes, angles. you did. That ball was out of bounds okay, in well, real time. The AFL state here, sorry, King. <laughs> out of bounds should be called when there is a quote-unquote clear gap between the boundary line and the ball. The difficulty of decisions involving the curved boundary line should not be underestimated. And this in, in this instance, we back the umpire that the correct call was made. Please see the split-screen broadcast angle and alternate angle that I just showed you that you <laughs> appeared to be unconvinced by. <laughs> what was closer, Wayne Harms or that one? <laughs> The, the, the boundary umpire was three metres away from it and it was breathtaking that he came up with the decision that he did and they're going to fall in behind him. It doesn't change the fact that it was an error. And and so we have... They're two big errors. Boundary umpire right on the spot appears to either lose his bearings or freeze. The AFL is going to walk past that one. The other one is everybody knows in real time that you can't do this and yet the umpire who's charged with the responsibility seems the only one who doesn't go to the whistle. So... Do you think the the review system should should be available for anything that impacts scoring? No, I don't because I watch that in other sports and it doesn't it, it introduces a whole different set of problems. But it solves that one. Well, only well, so the AFL is saying that the arc would not have overruled yeah. the one in the left forward pocket. They've got Dennis Denudo involved oh, here. I too. agree, but if you if you take that as the arc vision, they would come back and say, no, we're, going to, we're not going to overrule that. Mm. Um, and the other one is just like the umpire on the spot has to know the law. So do we, do we just sit back and take the same point of view as what Fly said after the game? He goes, we all make mistakes. Everyone's, everyone's human. The umpire clearly made a, a massive mistake then, but it, it's no different than missing a, a holding the man or, or a dropping the ball in front of goal. You look at a Zach Bailey down in Geelong last year, that was clearly holding the ball. We were up in arms about it. The next week, it's like, well, umpire made a mistake. They miss him here and there. This was a blatantly obvious one, obvious one but we can't do much about it. You're not going to change a rule on that. Because I, I agree, you can't go and stop and call every decision that should or should not be paid for them to overrule and change the result. It's only a scoreline, and that's that's why it's... The game moves on faster. We sit here for 10 seconds waiting for a review and go, this needs to be faster. If we do this every time the decision is incorrect to be overruled, it's going to be a boring, long game. It's going to zap the energy of, of what is such an up-tempo game of football. Well, it, in this instance, it wouldn't change the game because it just wouldn't be out of bounds and you get a stop play anyway. Yeah, but you, you've got so, to go back and you've got to review it. And it'll take. if you do one, you have to do them all. And if we go through and review every bad decision or every wrong decision, no, where, no, where does it the stop, ones, King? Well, just the ones where the game stops, I think, is a starting point. If the game is is, is, is on pause anyway, what, what, it would be three. It would take five seconds to do the handball one. Well, five seconds. no, because the, you'd be doing it after the goal had been signaled. So you would so be winding goal, backwards. It hasn't happened in... So that yeah. the close hand pass yep. to Cameron yep. then leads to play, and then you would be yep. erasing Which that we play. Do, we sort of half do now. Like the, the touch point where they go back to the middle of the ground and we're about to bounce the ball, 
we come back and we take the kick out. Yeah. We do it now anyway. But this one's a different one as you're not actually looking for a was it this or was it that. It's just the misapplication of the law. That, but it's a massive what, error. It's a massive error. If it cost if it cost Collingwood top spot, I don't think Fly would be saying the same thing today. Yeah, yeah. So how far? So I think the NRL ruins its game by winding further back and further back and further back on every scoring play, and then they find something that they weren't even looking for and will will overrule something. Is that? Are you actually advocating for that? Anything that affects scoring needs to be right. So everything affects. Not, scoring. Well, not, if, so, not, not so everything. So tell does. me. So what about the 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 moment you used at the start of the program? The the bounce that's not recalled. So that's a straight play down the ground that no, leads to I think to a that's score. an interpretation of an event. I'm happy with that. But if there's a blatant error, like someone's played on out of bounds, I think you can... The world would live with that one being overturned. The world would live with, hey, Jeremy Cameron marked that four rows back. The world would live with that. We shouldn't... Re- it's not. I don't think if you miss a free kick, we should be reviewing it. Or if you pay one... Um, that that you, t- you pay for too high, and it's not. It's proven that it's not too high. I don't think we review those. So, so the what about errors. Hodges' one last year? The um, the holding Zach the ball Bailey. that was missed to Zach Bailey. No, I, th- I think if you if you you got to go with the umpire's call there. But the ones that are blatantly outside, where the game's <sighs> effectively on pause, the game's Mate, on we, pause for that. We, we've got to trust the umpires. He made a mistake. The, the Zach Bailey one last year, Blitzoff tried to fend off. Got dumped, hold the ball. Everyone who knows AFL said that was holding the ball. A clear decision. This is this is what we're saying is, both of them were wrong decisions, and we move on. We we, we trust the umpires are going to make a better decision next time. But as soon as we start to change the rules for this one, but not that one, it's a can of worms. And and where do we stop? That that's the hardest thing. If once we change it for for one rule of a handball, it's out of bounds. Where where do we stop? There's going to be so much interpretation, and, and people are just going to get frustrated. And the more that we delay and hold the game. We, we don't have the patience, Kingy, to sit back and review 15 of these a game or five of these a game. We do a couple scores, and, and once the score review is over 10 seconds, we're sitting here going, hurry up, get it done, let's get the game yeah. going. I, I, just I understand that... what you're saying, but I think the white lines around the boundary are pretty obvious. They're a pretty obvious call. <laughs> Not last night. No, but on a review they are. <laughs> on a review they're very obvious calls. They're obvious calls. I, I, I dis- interpretation of you know holds and two highs and all that sort of stuff, I'm happy to live with that. But when the white line's involved, it's a pretty easy thing to, to so assess. In that case, then the mark with Jeremy Cameron, we'll have to go back and wait and review that to see if that was a clear mark or not because it's involved that white line yeah, that you're talking about. 100%. It'll take, it'll take 30 seconds for a logical individual. And I know but we just got an the answer from the ARC saying no, that they no, would have let it stand. No, no one's believing that. They're better off saying it's an error and we move on. So now they we're calling them liars. Well, Hodgie, when you see the vision, <laughs> you will call them a liar. Get that shovel out, mate. You're digging. What do you mean? Digging deeper. I don't think anyone in the world thinks that was a mark. Do you think? Um, do you think that was a mark, Hodgie? Uh, it, it did look out from where from where I was. Did but you, if you think talk it was to, a mark, Hodgie? It looked out from where I was. But if you listen to the AFL who've come with their answer, they are backing the decision. So even though we, as you said, if it's a clear understanding, if it's a clear mark or not. We're not clear with that one. We're all clear with the Jeremy Cameron, the handball receive, but we're not. So we're still sitting here after, what is it? What was it, game? 10 hours ago. And we're still here questioning, was it a mark, wasn't I, I it? The AFL have come out and said yes, and we're still sitting here going, mm, it did look out from the angle that we had. We've, we all know the umpires are, support, are getting the support of the AFL. That, that's all they're doing today. There's not one person thinks that's a mark, even though they've put this message out. We, we all know that. To, to think that that's a mark or to say we won't have a look at an alternate view... 
because we're going to support an umpire in this instance, I think is wrong. I think you're just better off having a look at it and being sensible about it. Should I want to hear from the uh, umpire's advocate. Sammy, what's your thoughts? You're, you always support the umpire. Oh, come on, don't buy into Kane's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'm happy to provide benefit of the doubt when I think it's there. Now, obviously, the close-to-camera one's cut and dry. No one in their right mind would argue with that. I did say coming in prior to going on air this morning that I thought... You could at least debate the mark out of bounds because the broadcast angle isn't ideal, and that was all that I was privy to. So I was pretty keen to get a better look at it just to see, in fact, if the whole ball was entirely across the line. So I think there was an element of grey there. Jared was in a better position than me on the night. He's not having it for a moment. I'm not sure if the alternate vision we've just been supplied by the AFL clears it up either. <laughs> but at least I think you can debate that one. The other one's just a blatant error. And just with Dave Roden at the end, does a magnificent oh, job, Dave. Oh, my man. But the, the kick after the siren, I've just got to... What happened there? So he signalled behind... Behind. He's put the arm on the chest, but then he's given the sort of slow-mo double-finger salute, and then, yes, that's all clear. It's a goal. He what got sort of caught halfway between. I love it. Oh, did I just signal a behind? Oh, and no. then sort of paused his downward motion well, I think and then that, signaled a goal. It's very a, confusing. Do you like it, though? I like the Good new theater. move. I like the new move. <laughs> you, you like that technique, I like you? the technique. I think we could look at it. <laughs> what, build it up. <laughs> what I would like to know is, should dissent have been paid against Braden Maynard? Oh, could you oh. imagine? So I... Game management, I think the field umpire did a really good job here. He knew that an error had been made, and rather than compound the error by paying 50 for dissent, he just sort of looked the other way. No, Jared, I understand where you're coming with it, but you can't. They cannot pay a dissent free kick for the rest of the year. I think they can. If, if you've got oh, two blokes sure there, they will, Chris, <laughs> and he was, you could hear through the umpire's mic how loud he yelled just after he did everything but point up at the uh, up at the big screen and say, look at that. <laughs> and we know what would have happened if, if that, or it may have happened, we're not, not sure these days, but I don't think the umpires can now pay another dissent because as frustrating and as close it was to being out and the players there believe that it was out, dissent is dissent. And if we're going to go back and look at that, it, I, I feel for the next umpire who has to play dissent and what, what, what he is going to do because that was a clear one. What do you know about Darcy Moore, Sam? Look, it looked alarming, didn't it, when he grabbed at that left hamstring while running early in the game. To the eye, it looked like your classic two- to three-weeker hamstring. But Collingwood immediately, via their social media page, called it hamstring tightness, Jared. And then Craig McRae used words tight and neural after the game. So they're optimistic that this will be a short-term problem um, rather than a long-term one. He will be scanned, of course. Uh, have to be a week or two, at least, you would have thought. But there was a, a lovely moment with Jack Ginevan that was captured by cameras at quarter time. So clearly Darcy Moore, the captain, is about to be subbed off, has been. Jack Ginevan waiting so long. I think that shows you what sort of captain Darcy Moore is. To put his obvious disappointment and frustration on one side, put his arm around a teammate who's been on the outer for so long, but the injury will be a period of time out for Darcy Moore. No doubt about that. What sort of dread did you feel when that happened, Luke? Well, I think when you when you look through Dacos last week, um, and then they lose. So the best midfielder, they lose their best defender and, and skipper. And then at a stage there, we thought that uh, Dugowie had hurt his hamstring as well when he flew for that mark in the first or second quarter. So I'm sitting here going, is that the end of their season? But I, I did laugh when um, Graham Wright was very stern when he was interviewed at, at halftime about it. it was just tightness. And then I think Abby went again. He goes, no, it was just tightness. Darcy did uh, open up after the game and said that he's not great watching. And he's not sure how he's going to go watching. So he's conceded that it's going to be a couple of weeks. I just, I've never 
known many hamstrings to be rested for a couple of weeks for, for just tightness. It's normally a strain or a tear in there that, that gets you a couple of weeks off. Yeah, we'll get some clarity on that shortly. But uh, just with Dugowie, they're working on his groin as well. For Tom, clearly played on sore, as Craig McRae admitted. And then we had the pair of Cats injuries as well to Gary Rowan, who was subbed out with that hip groin issue. And Reece Stanley, who was really sore in the second half, didn't come off until late in the piece with the same injury. So there, there's definitely doubt around those two for next week. We talked about this on Monday. This, this is the time of year where your strength and conditioning department, your phys editors, you, you work out whether you've got cutting edge or you've just got also rents. And, and you pay the big dollars for the, for the top the top liners to manage a Dacos so that you can, you've had the option to bring him in for the first final, to manage Darcy Moore so that you have the option. But 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 absolutely no risk, obviously. Um, but you've got to trust in the end their opinion. Yes, he's medically right to go. Yes, he's ticked every box. You can't have the Clayton Oliver situation happening now. If that happens to Darcy Moore, it's it's it really jeopardises your opportunities um, to win the premiership because they're just going at the moment, Collingwood. They're just going, so they need all the stocks available when the when the whips are cracking. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group. No, we, we, we spoke about it pre-game, about, um, you know, Friday night footies, lots of people watching, and we want everyone to see how good our pressure is. And, um, yeah, that was the focus all week, get back to what we do. And, um, yeah, I thought for most of the night, I think pressure was over too for most of the night. Last quarter was slightly down on that, but, um, yeah, I think we re-established that uh, we're one of the best pressure teams in the comp. Just. Craig McRae with his assessment of last night for crunch time for Azito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. Luke Hodge and David King to turn their analytical minds to what transpired. So let, let's dig deep on Collingwood and and what we're seeing, not just last night, but in their in their trending towards September. King? I thought it was an excellent performance from there. Any, anything centre-back, I thought was terrific. Um, as Jack said, they bounced the ball out of their back line. They kicked nine of their 16 goals on counterpunch. Uh, they got wild cards down there. I think Quaynor has, has, be- has become an elite defender in the comp. They, they covered the loss of Darcy Moore, which is not easy to do, from even from an emotional point of view. Hodgie in game, when you, you lose someone of that ilk from your team, you see him going off the ground with a ham. You know it's a hamstring. He's told the group that at the break. Um, so I think sometimes that can be a challenge in that given game. But I thought, th- I thought Crisp, Noble um, and Markov, I really want to give a rap to because he's been on the edges of this team for a little while and I think his speed is, is absolutely critical to, to not just offence but the way he, he, he's, he's bought into a defensive plan. If their pressure can be like that, they can hold up down back. So their swarming out number needs pressure because as soon as the opposition find that easy first marking target – they can leapfrog them quite quickly and quite easily, which we saw at both ends of the ground, really, walk-in goals um, across the first three quarters of that game. <clears throat> so so I, I loved Collingwood centre-back, and I think they found their forward six. I, I think that's it. That's what we're looking at. I think Howe now completes his forward line. So they're wedded to Howe forward. I always think? thought it was the wild card they'd pull at the back half of the year. So I, you, need a, you need a change... And I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Hodgie. I think when you look at the last five to six years, most teams have bought in either a wild card talent late in the piece to give a spark or change the way they play late in the piece or done something to provide a, an injection of, a, 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 of freshness and enthusiasm to the group. I think how going forward is the logical matchup for the opposition interceptor. 
because that's how he plays. He understands as an experienced player where they're trying to drop off to. And we saw him just defeat mm. Radigalia in the air multiple times. We saw him trying to get to Stewart you know, multiple times. He got off him a couple of times early and just didn't quite finish his work. But I think that's their forward six now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, uh, Kingy, with the, the pressure in and around the ball. Where they'd been, where they'd fallen down the previous few weeks and and Jack Chris mentioned just before was their attention to detail on the defensive end. What Hawthorne did uh, was able to pierce through them. But it's also, if you get no pressure on the ball, the way Collingwood defend, they try and set up in a way to attack you when they get the ball back. And if there's no pressure on the ball, they can pierce their way through. I, I counted last week against Hawthorne. Out of the 16 goals that Hawthorne kicked against them, 11 of them come from Collingwood either not willing to or not willing to man up, not wanting to man up, or having that 50-50 ball. There was a couple where Luke Bruce got some crumbing goals where he had an opponent right beside him. And then he went to the back. The defender went to the front to try and get a touch. And it turns out to be a Luke Bruce goal. They're, they're little decisions that they would have spoken about this week. And during the first quarter, I thought, uh-oh, they, they've spoken about it and they haven't improved it. So this could be a flaw for them and, and they're going to really struggle. But I'm not sure what, what Craig said to him at quarter time, but their pressure in and around the ball helped that. And then as soon as you get pressure on the ball, you can turn the ball over. Geelong started kicking the ball longer. And then as soon as, soon as that happens, Collingwood are set up with Dacos out in the wing. They, they know as soon as that transition, as soon as that turnover's there, they've got the blokes in the right areas to slingshot back and move the ball. And that's, that's why they were able to have 29 scoring shots last night is because the intensity around the ball lifted, their turnover game picked up, and then their transition with the blokes in the right spot. And it, it all come down to that, as you said, the, the pressure in and around the ball. So, so the problem, I think, and this is why I made the comment before regarding this midfield. So to score from stoppage, you have to clearly win the actual clearance and then you have to win contest after that. So I think Collingwood is still vulnerable to that leapfrog uh, game map, if you like, because they, they, they rush up to the ball to outnumber. So you'll see Darcy Moore get it wrong, get it right. So he'll either intercept or he'll be 3v2 and there'll be someone at the back free, which causes an overlap or, or chaos behind the ball. They coughed up five goals from stoppage in the first quarter. Five goals in one quarter of footy. Mm. Now, if that's if that's Melbourne, and I'll just, I'm just going to narrow it to Melbourne for the moment because I think Brisbane have got their clearance issues with Ashcroft now not there and Lockie Neal in, in really ordinary form. Um, and, and Port Adelaide, they are a spark midfield. They can do it, but they're not as they're not as honest and as brutal and as uh, um, as consistent as Melbourne. So. If it is Oliver, Petrarca, Viney doing that to them last night, it won't stop. So the jury's still out for you then, clearly, oh, on Collingwood. Which is, which is half the, the excitement for, the, for mm. the gap of you know, the next six, eight weeks. It can change quickly, but with no Dacos there, it looks incredibly difficult, uh, to, uh, different, I should say. Um, and I'm worried about Pendlebury, and I put that on the table last week the speed factor there. Dugowie's got to gather. Dugowie's the wild card in that midfield that is not quite winning clearance at the moment. Adams can do it. Mitchell can do it. But they're a little bit slow. Mm. They're a little bit one-paced in there, Hodgie, for me at the moment. And it's stark without Dacos. Yeah, well, with the Pendlebury one, I'm, he, he does look a tad off. But that, that's what happens when you get to, to that age and, and not having a break. Um, I, I, I have belief that once he gets to the end of home away season, he'll have a week off. He'll be fresher and he won't look that touch behind. But I do agree, it, 
it was evident last night when Dangerfield was bursting from a stoppage and we thought, oh, geez, hang on, he's back. He looks dangerous that Scotty did get left a little bit behind. But I, I don't fear for him in, in finals because finals, it seems like it's more of a contested possession style of game and his smarts and composure with the ball will, will stand out. At um, centre bounce? At centre bounce? What's that, sorry? At centre bounce clearance, do you think? Oh, it, with you can you can hide that with how your position plays. So you don't you don't have him in a position where he's going to have to he get exploited. So at the back of the stoppage is a, not a bad spot because he can sort of sweep, corral, squeeze blokes in, and all he has to do is put pressure on the bloke coming out the front. That's you, you can hide leg speed in there. You put your fast, agile guys into where the hit zones are going to be, and they can work and, and burst from that. So if if they are really concerned, they can tweak and, and manipulate his starting position so he's not exploited that way. Um, but I thought, in saying that, Paddy Dangerfield does that to a lot of people <laughs> when, when, when is, he's up in a... What's yeah. That? I say the problem is that Hawthorne did it too. It was 18-3 last week, and it was guys like Nash, guys like Newcomb, so it's not not of Dangerfield's level just yet, but but it's a it's an existing problem for the last three to four weeks why, of footy. So not why, a one would, off. why wouldn't they have managed Scott Pendlebury? Do you think, Hodgie? Like he's going to be thirty six in January. Obviously, an all time icon, um, future uh, Hall of Fame legend. You'd think, but why wouldn't they have managed him more in the back end of the season? Do you think? Uh, it's it's they've lost two in a row. So when you lose two in a row, you sit here and go, we need our leaders out there. Prior to that loss, he had twenty eight <laughs> touches at Adelaide Oval against Port Adelaide and was really influential. And he's probably sitting there going, I'm feeling good. When you when you come to that age, uh, late in the season, it can hit you pretty quickly that, oh, I do need a rest. But their mindset on the weekend would, uh, last night would have been, we've got Dacos is out. We need Scotty in there just to compose things. If things aren't going away against a senior Geelong team or experienced Geelong team, that he can be there and, and add a little bit for us. So, look, oh, there's no doubt that now that they've secured top two, where they give him a rest now, or they think we'll just get him through to the bye, which is in mm. two more games, and then he'll have his f- freshen up, ready ready for the finals. But oh, I thought they, after that first quarter, Kingy, I th- thought they responded. They still kicked, what, 48 points from, from stoppage, from clearance. So they still had their, at times, they looked okay with, with coming out of the out of the stoppage as well. Yeah, well, we we see. Was well, it as convincing? Was it as convincing as Geelong in that first quarter, though? No, I thought I thought Dangerfield was a problem for them all night. I didn't think it was a one quarter thing with Dangerfield. There was there was moments in that was it late third, early fourth quarter where he just he just went to another level and they didn't couldn't go with him. That last quarter is really interesting. I think Collingwood's four goals up. Uh, I wouldn't have given much for Geelong's chances at that stage. They completely dominate the last quarter, and the three goals come from mm. just critical errors. Powerless. The Smith kick that doesn't get to Duncan, the College Esney hand pass, which is just awful, and then the Radigalier drop mark. What is it? 19 inside 50s to five, yeah. and those three are just straight gift goals in and an eight-point game. And they missed some opportunities, some absolute guilt-edge ones at the other end so as Ca- well. Cameron got him to 11, and then did he have the next two shots, and they were both yep. behind? He had yeah. a shot to get him within two or three, I think it was. Yeah. Five goals, six. And, and of the six points, you felt like all of them were gettable. It was a late surge that was going to threaten to, to win them the game, and, and that's why I guess in the back of my mm. mind I've got, if that is a, a slightly better um, well-oiled machine in Melbourne or even Brisbane... Um, you know, Port Adelaide, throw up at any team you like. You're in a bit more trouble for longer. So this clearance problem and the opportunities that they're going to get from that because of the way Collingwood want to play, uh, you will get some strolling goals. Then, then I, I think McRae would be thrilled today to get the win, but I don't think it changes a lot as to where they've been the last few weeks. Maynard was the matchup for Cameron, wasn't it, in the end? Which is a, and I know he kicked a couple from the car park, Jesse, Everyone. but he's, he's kicked 7-4. I mean, he probably should have... 
should have and could have and would have kicked 10 on another night. Well, I think, yeah, start with Maynard. I think with his work rate, physicality might have been able to, to keep with Jeremy, but it was moved pretty quickly. Frampton had to go on him. And then at the start of the second quarter, they went to Murphy. It just seemed like it was a coach's box mm-hmm. going, how can we how can we stop this? But Kingy, what Kingy raised before, the, the way you stop it is get on top in the midfield and, and not let the ball just come flying in there. Because we all know Jeremy Cameron, if the ball hits the deck, he's as good a ground level forward at that height as, as we've seen since probably Bud in his peak. How good a game was it from him? Oh, he's, he's, it, just, it just shows you what what elite-level talent in, in that area of the ground can do for your scoring profile. Like, he hasn't been that player for quite a few weeks. And then without Hawkins, he's able to do it. I just feel like Chris Scott would be thinking, he's just a little bit stiff to get the wrong injuries at the wrong time this year. Um, so, so Cameron's shoulder is clearly still affecting him. He was he was still banged up last night. He took a long time to get himself off the ground a few times. He was um, in pain, clearly. He could see the look on his face. So... If Hawkins is out there last night and Moore goes down, Geelong win that game. So it's just, it's when you play teams, not not who you play at the, at the moment. Um, but that was a special performance. He, he, he cleaned them all up. He cleaned up Frampton. He cleaned, he, he had Moore off the off the bit early. Um, and the way they play gives him great opportunity. It's just, a, it's just a shame he didn't kick 10 last night. Is there concerns with his set shot? Because we all know that when he gets the ball and he's rolling around onto that left foot, he's as good a snapper uh, as we've seen for a little bit. But it's almost when he's having that set shot, 35 out, you hes- it's almost like he pokes at it. Because he, ha- he had three set shots last night that didn't look convincing at all and didn't even look like getting close to, to going through for a goal. But when he gets the ball in the snapping. So is that a, is that a bit of a concern when your, your key forward, who's as dominant as he is, is going to get a lot of marks inside forward 50, second guesses himself when he's when he's having a set shot? Chris said he just knocks them through. He, mm. he, he practices the warm-up, starting with those, and never misses. Sorry, Chanana. Well, the Chanana from that yeah. out-of-bounds, the most contentious. That, that was that amazing. That is the most exceptional kick. That was a Mike Gatting. That was the footy's answer to the Mike Gatting it's ball. It's the half-banana, <laughs> half-checkside, very upright <laughs> in its approach. One way, then the other way. Remarkable. Mm. All right. There was so much in Friday Night Footy. The pies over the cats. And there's so much more to come in round 22. You're listening to Crunch Time.